Okay. So now, I guess since 21 years ago, I bought you Wendy's. Now in 2021, I'll have to buy you Papados. It's, it's my favorite Texas restaurant, so there you go. Uh, so many of you know me, and were, I think some of you know me, and many of you probably don't know me, but I've been uh, a part of this church since its inception. I know I don't show up a lot, um, but there's a good reason for it, okay? Um, and uh, I have a, a ministry called Actors for Christ as well, which I started back in 1981. Oh, my goodness. Um, so I want to show you something that I've been doing over the years. And, uh, you know, uh, let me just share this. Uh, in 2000, I'm an actor also. And how many know you can be an actor, singer, or comedian, and still be a Christian? You, you realize that, right? And still be an ordained minister. You, you know that. So we're not small-minded as people were back in 1981, 82, when they told me to get out of acting because I was unequally yoked. I was in the devil's playground, and I was in darkness. And I finally said to Carmen, you know, Carmen's my wife. I finally said to Carmen, uh, you, know, you know what I'm going to do? Um, God's not telling me to get out of it. Maybe I'm supposed to. I don't know. But I'm going to go into the devil's playground. I'm going to build a church and kick the sucker out of the neighborhood. And so um, back then, 1981, I started a ministry called Actors for Christ. And we would meet at my uh, two-room apartment on 57th Street and 8th Avenue. And I still have it, by the way. Uh, I sublease it to friends. And we started Actors for Christ. And every Monday night, we, I would invite actors over. I'd have a prayer meeting. I would speak for about 20 minutes. And then we'd pray for the whole industry, all of Hollywood, New York. Uh, I mean, just the whole industry. So we prayed for Sylvester Stallone. And I always thought, you know, I could see him one day say, Hey, yo, I just want to say, praise the Lord. Oh, Adrian, I'm saved. Um, hey, do me a favor. Everybody put your fists together and just yell out, Yo, Adrian, I'm saved. I'm saved. Good. Good. So uh, I won't have you do the Godfather. Uh, although if you want to. I just want to say, my name is Pastor Don Corleone, and I'm going to make an offer you can't refuse. Thank you. And so, so when I started my ministry, that's what I would do. Because, um, you know, people said, oh, you can be another this and another that and another him and another that one. And God showed me something. And God said, I don't need another this, another that. I need you. Uh, you are one of a kind. Maybe you didn't hear me. You are one of a kind. Now, I, I wrote this down. You are one of a kind. And say this with me. I am one of a kind. I am not a duplicate. Amen. Hey, Kenny, I didn't know you were here. Because you usually sit at the end. Oh, somebody took your seat. No, it's okay, brother. Stay there. Stay there. It's all right. Um, so I, I remember having dinner with my pastor and, and I, 
I didn't know that you could use these things in ministry because everybody said you're going to be like this one and like that one. And at the time, Kenneth Copeland was really big. I, that's that's who I got turned on to. And people said, you could be like Kenneth. You could be like Jerry. You could be like this one. And, you know, I, I was really, I was a baby Christian, so I was getting confused about everything because people were telling me, get out of acting, you could be like this one, get out of that, you could be like that one. And, you know, my head was, was really spinning. And so I was having dinner with my pastor and his wife, Carmen, and I, and I started to do these impersonations. I said, you know, um, in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 2, it says, write the vision down, make it plain upon table, so he that reads it will run with it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, it will surely come. And, and he said, okay, so what's your point? I said, well, I'm writing the vision down of Sylvester Stallone uh, getting saved. Then I did my impersonation of Sylvester Stallone. And he laughed. And being Italian, I did my impersonation of, uh, of the Godfather as Pastor Don Corleone. And then he said, what else do you have? And I didn't know what else I had because it's not like I used to do that. I mean, I was a singer. That's all I wanted to do. I was not an actor. I did not want to become an actor. And so... You know, that's what I did. Uh, now, after a while, I did get into acting, but I'm not going to confuse you. I'm not going to, don't worry, I'm not going to get off base and go to something else. I'm going to stay focused. So um, then he said, what else do you do? And I said, I don't know. Uh, he said, what about Popeye saves? And I said, oh, skip it up. Oh, praise the Lord. Where's me spinach? Oh, Father, bless me spinach in Jesus' name. Amen. And, and, and he started laughing and he started applauding also. Do you know that once a child uh, gets a reaction from a parent, the child never stops? Do you realize that? You know, I mean, how, what's the age of little kids when they first, when they're, they're, standing on, they're standing on their feet and they let go of the coffee table? One? Okay. So there, there's the little kid standing and holding on to the, uh, the coffee table. And then he realizes, oh, I can stand up. And then he holds on again. And then he does it again. But then he hears, look at him, look at him. And he looks and says, what was that about? <laughs> and then he puts one and two together. Wait a minute. Look at him. Oh, if I perform, I get applause. Oh. So my point is. Watch it tonight, okay? Because I am an actor. And then he said, can you do Elma Fudd? And I said, hello, my name is Elma Fudd. If you see the wabbit, will you tell him that I'm saved and filled with the Holy Spirit? And I want to pray for him because I love him. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And um, thank you, Pastor. If, you, if you're wondering if you should applaud or not, look at Pastor Justin. Okay. <laughs> and so I did all of these impersonations. And uh, how many saw Goodfellas? Oh, no, never mind. Don't forget it. How many saw, <laughs> how many saw Home Alone? Okay, so Joe Pesci was in Goodfellas and Home Alone. I didn't watch. Well, I, I watched it, okay? I, I'm an actor. I had to. But I did go like this a lot. And uh, what do I make you laugh? Am I funny? Am I a clown? Do I amuse you? 
So in Home Alone, when the kid is throwing the bricks at his friend, he said, Hey, kid, stop throwing bricks at my friend. It's going to make him look ugly like him. I'm only kidding, Kenny. (laughs) That's my impersonation of, of Joe. And then, of course, I loved Edith and Archie Bunker. Man. I mean, I, 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 my schedule was around that show whenever it came on. The, the, um, it came on at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Those were the reruns. And then it was on again at 8 o'clock at night. And I used to love watching it. So when I got saved, you know, I started praying for Carol O'Connor, you know, uh, Archie Bunker and, and Gene Stapleton, Edith. And, and I said to Carmen one day, I said, can you imagine Edith saved? And she said, No, I can't imagine it, but I guess I'm going to see it right now. (laughs) Jeez, Edith, you dingbat, what are you doing now? Praising the Lord, Archie! (laughs) So I guess the point I'm trying to make here is I haven't acted in a few weeks. I'm getting it all out right now. But I do want to show you um, a trailer, and Kenny Cable is in one of them. He's in the second one that we're going to show later. But this is called um, I Am Lorenzo Lamas. How many ladies remember Lorenzo Lamas? Okay, if you're in your 20s, I know you don't remember Lorenzo Lamas. But Lorenzo Lamas was a big heartthrob in the, well, first the 70s on Falcon Crest. Then the 80s and 90s, he had a a TV show called... um, uh, um, a, uh, yeah, he had a TV show. And anyway, uh, it was on for five years. It was called Renegade, where he played a bounty hunter on a, on a Harley. And a couple of years ago, I did a movie with him, and we were just talking. And uh, so he sends me a, a message on Facebook. He said, I really loved working with you. You're down to earth. And, uh, uh, and it was a faith-based film. And he said, I'd love to work with you again, so let's keep in touch. I said, okay, um, go to Bailout TV, www.bailouttv.com. That's the, my website, just to let you know, if you want to see any of my, my shows. Um, and he did. And then he wrote me back. He said, can I call you? I said, yeah, here's my number. So he called me, and he said, listen, I love your show, man. Um, can I be in it? And I thought, well, that's why I wanted you to watch it. And I said, yeah. He said, what do I have to do? I said, I'll send you the script. I'll send you a plane ticket. And these are the dates we're doing it. So we did it. And he said to me, he said, okay, but I don't want to play myself. But I told him the premise. I said, it's about an out-of-work actor who's looking for a job as a bounty hunter. And throughout the whole series, you're trying to convince me that you're this big TV star. And I don't know who you are. And he said, I love the idea. I'll play myself. And... Um, so let's play. Now, this is a trailer. I think it's a minute and 30. I think. I don't know. It's not over two minutes, though, right? She's looking as, as if to say, it's not my show. It's yours. You don't know. <laughs> so let's just play the trailer to bail out number one. Jimmy thought he'd seen everything. Tell he got to Texas. Can I help you? It all started when my friends wanted to help. I know they were looking out for me, including the mob. Go figure. You know who I am. Of course I know who you are. 
Geez, even with the beard, you know. Can I have your autograph? Sure. Him. You're him. <laughs> yes, I am. I want to bail out him instead. Okay. <laughs> He's here for a job interview. As soon as he comes out of the office, shoot him. Those two English slimers are out the whack. We moved here from Brooklyn to keep an eye out on Jimmy O'Neill's safety. But we're doing nothing. I go back. What? 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 Thinking. Uh-oh. I'm talking about working for him. Be an underground spy. Like secret agents. Ho ho! Who is that with Jimmy? Is that Lou Diamond Phillips? That's Benicio del Toro. No. That's Fernando Lamas. Who? It is you! Huh. What are you doing here, Lorenzo Lamas? Well, we came to get you. And you're a big movie star! Ah, TV star. <laughs> Alright, so he looks familiar, but it doesn't mean I recognize him. Okay, so. <laughs> yeah, the helmet is a football helmet. <laughs> Uh, now, we just got signed with PAX TV and uh, Scribe TV, and we're looking at other, um, other venues as well. But this is the way I preach the gospel. This is one way I preach the gospel. So for years, I've been writing this show, and I knew God called me to write it. Because every time I sat at the, uh, at the computer, I would always say, okay, Lord, I'm the pen of the ready writer. Start writing. And I would just start writing, and I'd be laughing at what I'm writing, and I'm thinking, this, this can't be me. I, I'm not that smart. I'm really not. And so for years, since 2009 is when we started to, uh, to film this, um, it, it got better and better, but it wasn't going anywhere. I would, I would contact networks. They just weren't interested. And then I had a revelation that... Um, Maybe I'm going about it the wrong way. And I said to God, God, what am I doing wrong? And what should I do that's right? If you want this to be a faith-based TV show, I'll do that. Right now, it was just totally secular, although it was for family. So there was nothing that you know your grandmother or your kids couldn't see. And I said, just show me, Lord. And I didn't hear anything. And I was doing this for weeks and I would say, Lord, are you telling me to shut it down? Because if you want me to shut it down and go into something else, if you just want me to travel as a minister, I'll do that. Whatever you want me to do. If you want me to give up acting, I'll give up acting. But just show me. And so I came downstairs because I tried to write and I couldn't. I came downstairs and I turned the TV on and on came a show called TMZ, which I no longer watch. I don't want to get political, but I just no longer watch it. Notice how I did that. I don't want to get political, but I no longer watch it. And so um, I was about to change the channel. And the, the guy on there said, now, don't go away because we have the executive producer of The Chosen coming on. And I said, The Chosen? That's about Jesus Christ on the secular network. So I waited and he came on and he was talking about his show. And then the host asked him, uh, well, said, why don't you tell us how you raised the money and how much you raised? He said, well, I showed a trailer in my church of, uh, you know, just a, a small segment. And um, I spoke about it. And when I was done, my pastor said, you need to put this on crowdfunding. 
So go on to, there's a lot of crowdfunding that you can do online. And he said, but talk about just what you talked about in church and don't hold back. So let everybody know, let the world know it's about Jesus Christ, but you're looking for finances. So I think it was uh, some famous director, I think the most he ever raised was $450,000, which I could use that right now. Um, (laughs) But uh, that's what he raised. So this guy, the executive producer of The Chosen, went on crowdfunding and he spoke about everything that he spoke about in church. And he raised a whopping $19 million broke all records. No one's ever done that. So I'm watching this and I'm thinking, I said, Lord, are you speaking to me? And I went upstairs. I said, Lord, I'm the pen of the ready writer whenever you're ready. And I started typing out the script. I'm laughing. And now it's faith-based. I have three angels in it. One is a Sylvester Stallone lookalike. Another is a Jason Statham lookalike uh, who's in the, uh, they're in um, the Expendables. And Stallone is coming out with a new one. And then I have this big guy, J.B. Brady, who's a student of mine. I teach acting as well. And uh, he plays like Michael the Archangel. He's 6'4 and weighs 275 pounds of pure muscle. And Kenny already met him. And when you look at this guy, it's just intimidating. Um, So I have three angels in it, and uh, they're watching out for me. And in one scene, it's not on the uh, the trailer that I'm going to show you, but in one scene, they're, they're, they're in their car, and they're watching these guys trying to whack me. Uh, that means kill me. But it's Brooklyn talk, you know what I'm saying? Hey, you're going to whack them, you know what I mean? So uh, Jason Statham character says to Stallone character, now, why are we watching out for Jimmy? Now, these are two angels. And so Stallone says, I'll give you a clue. He says, what is it? Clarence. Clarence is from It's a Wonderful Life. And he was an angel trying to get his wings. So these two are trying to get their wings. So Jason says, right. So I have these three angels. Three of them are trying to get their wings. And uh, it's not so biblical, but look, it is faith-based, okay? So don't get religious on me, all right? (laughs) And um, anyway, so that's what I'm doing. And... uh, And God has me speaking not only in churches, but in secular venues. And I did this a couple of years ago. Uh, I already had my notes. I knew what I was going to talk about. It was a secular venue. It was actually for the Black Chamber of Commerce. And, uh, and, you know, they pray before the, the, the meeting starts. And all of a sudden, my notes got thrown out the window. And I just started talking. And I started to share my testimony, which I'm going to do tonight. And I told him, I told them how the Lord came into my life. I gave them scripture. And I mean, I just told them how uh, my wife prayed for me. And I mean, it was glorious. And man, did they love it. And then I was invited to another secular venue uh, because they heard about my testimony. And it was called Ambux. And so they had me for three or four years, every year, not only singing, but sharing my testimony, how God saved me. And I thought, well, it's not a bad, uh, bad thing where God is sending me. So I want to start 
with some foundational scriptures, first of all. In, um, and you know what? You, you don't, if you want to turn to it, you can, but you don't have to. Uh, because I'm going to go pretty fast with this because I do want to get to my testimony. In um, 1 Samuel 17, 4 through 11, it says, And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. So let me just say this. Six cubits plus one span is 111 inches or 141 inches or nine feet, three inches to 11 feet, nine inches. Taking the average, it would approximately, approximately be 10 feet, six inches. Now, let's not major in the minors. The guy was big, okay? Whether he was nine feet tall, 13 feet tall, the guy was big, which could be intimidating. So let, let me cut to the chase here. Um, in verse 5, I'm going to go back to verse 5. Yeah, verse 5. He had a bronze helmet on his head and was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels. Instead of me reading all of this, let me just say he had a lot of armor on. And it weighed a ton. So now I'm going, going to go to where he was calling out the armies of Israel. So in uh, starting in verse, I'll, I'll go to verse seven. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron, iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and uh, he had a shield bearer ahead of him. I mean, this guy was fully armed, man. He was like a, an Afghani terrorist. I mean, this guy was just fully armed. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up with me? Now, normally I would ask someone to read this, but for the sake of time, I will read all of it. So he said, why have you come out to line up in battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But. If I prevail against him and kill him, then he shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that will fight with me together. When Saul and all Israel heard all of these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The whole entire army was afraid of this one guy. Then along came David, who wiggled his way into see Saul. You ever see those people, they, they want to get to the pastor, and they're in the back, and they say, yeah, well, let me just, let me get through, let me get through. Oh, pastor, would you pray for me? Well, that's what David did until the prayer part, because Saul is the one who needed prayer. He needed prayer of encouragement, man. This guy, Saul was shoulders and head above everyone. Not just the Israel army, everyone in Israel. And he had the equipment to go against uh, uh, Goliath. So everything that Goliath was wearing, he had to wear. He had that armor, but he was cowering down. So of course, when David came along, his ears were opened up. He said, let, let the kid through. He's saying that 
what are you saying you want to do? So David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep, meaning David. When, when a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went out after it and struck it and, and rescued the sheep from the mouth of the lion. When it turned on me, I seized it by his hair, struck it and killed it. This is, this is a teenager telling Saul what he did to a lion and a bear. Now, Saul is really listening to this. Oh, maybe the kid's got a point here. Yeah, because you're a punk. That's why. In verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. It wasn't just the armies that David was offended at. It was the armies of the living God. And Saul didn't see that. And Saul didn't believe that God was on his side. Verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Well, Saul said, well, in that case, go and the Lord be with you. (laughs) Yes. So what did Saul do? I'm not going to read it, but I will tell you what he did. Saul said to David, he's a man of war from his youth. And you're just, you're a kid. You are a youth. And you're not a youth of war. So you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to start putting some armor on. And since you don't have have any armor, I am going to provide you with that armor. Just use your imagination. This is a big sword. (laughs) And David looked at him and said, what are you doing? This is too much. It doesn't even fit me. I can't go against this Goliath with all of this stuff and this big sword. And, you know, and and Saul couldn't understand why. Well, it's all right. It doesn't have to fit you to a T. You know, I mean, it's not a GQ kind of a thing. Just go out there and fight him. So David said, no, I can't do this. So David took off all the armor and he said, I'm going to go out and fight him. So what David did was on the way to meet Goliath, he stops at a brook and gets five smooth stones. Now, why did he get five smooth stones? That's another message. I'll have to come back and share that with you. Is Pastor Justin smiling? This is how you get your bookings, just letting you know. (laughs) So he gets five smooth stones and he puts them in his little bag. Did you try that once before, Kenny? Is that why you're laughing? I can picture Kenny going to his church. Yeah, yeah, well, next week when I come back, and the person, I didn't invite him back. (laughs) So when he saw Goliath, the Bible says that Goliath came running toward him. Now, when you see something that big that looks like a freight train impersonating a human being, you don't run toward it, you run away from it. But not David. 
The Bible says that David ran toward him, ran toward him. He had a slingshot and five smooth stones. I don't have the stones on me. I would have stopped by the brook, but I didn't have time because <laughs> I wanted to use them just like the big sword. I, I, I went looking for a sword today. I couldn't find one. So David runs towards him and he stops and he's, he's twirling, twirling and twirling. And can you picture Goliath looking at this kid doing this? And the Bible says that with his slingshot, he, bam, let it go. Now, David, just just so you know, David was excellent with a slingshot. And the kids and people of his time, they were excellent with a slingshot. So they could hit their target. Now, the Bible says that Goliath had this big helmet on. And back in those days, it it even had a nose uh, protector. So how could this... This stone hit him in the forehead. Now, here's my theory. uh, Goliath was laughing so hard at David going like this, this little skinny teenager doing all of this. He's going around going, "Ah!" (laughs) and as soon as he put his head back, bam, I believe, now it's not saying that the Bible says it, but I believe it went up into his helmet and it knocked him down. Now, Let me just say this. Before that happened, I'm not going to read it. I'll just tell you the story. Before that happened in verse 46, David said, I am going to cut your head off and I'm going to I'm going to feed your carcass to the fowls of the air. Now, how could David possibly cut his head off? He didn't have a sword. He only had a slingshot. Here's what I think. David was prophesying over his life. How important are words? Elvis Presley always said, I will never live past 42 because his mother died at 42. And he always said this. He said, I will never live past 42. He was 42 when he died. Words are so powerful and they could be used for the power of Positive positivity or negativity. As an actor, before I knew the Lord, I always spoke positive words. I always said, I am going to get this audition. I'm going to get this job. And even though I I must have gone on a hundred auditions, didn't get 99 of them, I still pressed forward and I still spoke the word. But it wasn't the word of the Bible. It was the word of up here. So, My feeling is, if the word up here has some power, what does the word in here have? A lot more power. And David was speaking the word. Because why did he go out and fight? He went out to fight because this guy was talking against the armies of the living God. Not just the armies, the armies of the living God. And when Goliath fell, David went up to him took his sheath, took his, uh, his sword out of his sheath, bam, cut his head off and held it up and showed it to all of Israel and to the Philistines and said, this is what my God can do. Now listen, oh, I dropped his head, sorry. <laughs> now listen, whatever God tells you to do, do it. 
You don't have to be another so-and-so. You don't have to be another this or another that. You have to be you. God doesn't want duplicates. God wants to use you. And when I got that revelation, because people in church said to me, you've got to get out of the show business thing. I mean, look, you really have to get out of it. And I was confused. I was a baby Christian. You know, this was back in 1981, 82. And nobody was doing comedy at that time. Mike Warnicke was. But nobody was doing impersonations. And on Long Island, where I came, it was, it was a big uh, a, Italian area. And a lot of them came from denominational churches. And denominational churches, you didn't do stuff like that. And I was doing all of these impersonations. But people were getting saved. And then I started Actors for Christ. And I didn't know what else to do. And Carmen, before all of that happened, the way I I received the Lord was Carmen was speaking the word over me, just like David was speaking over Goliath. Now, Carmen would write scriptures all over the house. She, I would get up late in the afternoon. She went to work early. She would leave a Bible scripture on her pillow. So when I woke up, I went, I, I mean, it was like Frankenstein, seeing fire, smoke, smoke, good. And I go out into the kitchen. On the refrigerator door was a Bible scripture. On the milk was a Bible scripture. On my coffee mug was a Bible scripture. We had more Bible scriptures than we did cockroaches. In New York City, we had mucho cucarachas. But see, you guys wouldn't know that because you don't have cockroaches in Texas. No, 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 no. No, with your cockroaches, you saddle them and ride them into a wall. You don't have regular cockroaches in Texas, man. And, and you know... Before I knew the Lord, I mean, I didn't know anything else. I was an actor and, you know, this is what I did. I cursed, I drank, I I smoked, uh, smoking pot 24 hours a day. Well, actually, every waking minute. And I was snorting. I I was addicted to drugs for 20 years. And I even sold drugs to make a living. And here my wife was praying over me. She got saved. And she started to go to this non denominational church. And she would go in there and people would saw her wedding band on and would say, um, so you're married. Is your husband coming here? And she said, oh, my husband, no, he's, he's going to hell. Um, he's an actor and, uh, you know, he's a drug addict. He's, he's, he's not going anywhere. And one woman said, well, you know, you have to start speaking the word over him. And she said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, instead of saying that he's a drug addict, he's going to hell and this and that, Why don't you just start saying, my husband is saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. What does he do? And she said, well, he's a singer. He's an actor. She said, start confessing that he's singing for the Lord. Well, my wife really took this on. She would come to church, sit on the front row. Somebody would come over to sit next to her and she'd say, oh, no, this is uh, my husband. It's for him. Uh, He should be here, oh, any day. And this is what she did. So for two years, my wife was praying for me. Now, the way Carmen got saved was she went to a Catholic charismatic meeting and she had two tickets for it. It was at a Coliseum and she asked me to go with her. I said, no, no, I don't want to go to that thing. I mean, why would I want to go? I mean, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. You know, I believe in Mary. I believe in the saints and this whole thing. And she just couldn't get through to me. So that night she took her mom and she came home. Like around midnight, she said, Dan, you're not going to believe this. 
There were 6,000 Catholics with their hands lifted up in the air praising Jesus. I said, Carmen, they weren't Catholics because Catholics don't do that. You went to something else. It was some kind of a cult. And she could not get through to me. Could not get through to me at, at all. And so she, would, she did this for two years. And after two years, one day she came to me and she said, Hey, Dan, listen. Saturday at the church that I'm attending, they're having a healing service. Do you want to come? And I, I said, a healing service? What do you mean a healing service? And when she told me that, I started watching healing services on television. I'd be smoking my joint and snorting my cocoa. <laughs> That's a healing service. And so I would laugh at it. And I said to her, I said, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll go under one condition. She said anything. I said, promise you'll never, ever talk to you about this ever again. She said, I promise. I said, really? She said, yeah. I said, okay. So Saturday came. For some reason, every morning when I woke up, I, I would have a cup of coffee and a, I'd smoke a joint. And I, I'd be stoned all day. That morning, I had no desire to, I had my coffee, but I had no desire to smoke, to get stoned. And so around four or five o'clock uh, in the afternoon, we drove out to Long Island. We lived in New York City. We lived in Manhattan. And the church was 60 miles out on Long Island. So on the way out there, you know, we're just talking. And I kept thinking, why didn't I smoke my joint? Maybe I should smoke it now. And then I realized I didn't bring anything with me. And I thought, ah, all right, when I get home tonight, I'll, I'll, I'll get stoned. So we go out there. We pull up to the church. And I said to her, I said, okay. Now, here's the deal. When we walk in there, if anybody says, praise the Lord, hallelujah, or amen, because I watched it on TV, if they say that, I'm walking out. And she said, well, I don't think anybody's going to say it to you. I said, no, no. If they say it around me, they don't have to say it to me. If I hear them saying it, I'm walking out. She said, all right. So I go into a charismatic church like this. Not one person said, praise the Lord, hallelujah, or amen. Not one. Can you? That doesn't even make sense. It's amazing how God works. So we come in, we sit down, and I'm going to, if I put this down here, can you still hear me? Good? Okay. So we walk in, and there's all these people walking around, and, you know, they're, they're chatting, and I didn't want to talk to them because they were Christians. I didn't like them. They were so squeaky clean. And I used to watch that on television. And I just imagined them walking around, squeak, squeak, squeak. Hey there, hi there, hold there. I'm as happy as can be. I hated it. I hated happy people. I really did. Just give me my drugs. Let me be depressed. And that's, that's good for me. So we come in, we sit down and so, you know, people are coming over to Carmen saying, hi, how are you? And then she would introduce me. Not one person said, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Jeez. Oh, I wish somebody did so I could walk out. And so we're sitting there. The music ministry came out. Now, I grew up Catholic. I was singing in the Catholic church because Carmen said to me, you'll never make it until you sing for the Lord. So I went back to the Catholic church. I was singing at 1145 Mass every Sunday. And nothing was happening for my career. Nothing. Nothing. That's a Brooklyn Italian thing. And I'm half Sicilian so I can do it. And so we're sitting there. The music ministry came out. Guitar player, bass player, uh, organ player, um, three singers, 
and whatever else they had. All of a sudden, the music minister shouted, one, two, three, four. The whole church got up and started going, I don't know what you came to do, but I came to praise the Lord. And I'm looking around and saying, oh my gosh, what is this? These people are nuts, man. I've never seen this before. Not even in a nightclub, I haven't seen that. And so I thought, all right, I'm the only one sitting down. So I, I, I stood up and I thought, um, you know, I mean, I, I'm a pretty good dancer. I, was, I taught for Arthur Murray. And I thought, yeah, I'll dance. And I thought I was cool. So we all sat down. And the pastor got out there, and I don't know if you guys remember an actor by the name of Larry Parks, but he played the, the Al Jolson story. Old, old actor. And um, this pastor looked just like him. And then he took his Bible, he opened it up, and he put it over here. He looked at it, and then he started preaching, quoting the word. Now, I had never heard the word being spoken before. Never. I mean, I had a big Bible on my coffee table, but that was just in case something happened. I can hold it and I'll go to heaven, you know, some stupid thing like that. Um, and so he starts to preach from the Bible and he was quoting scripture, King James. Here was my thinking. Number one, this guy looks like an actor and he's quoting Shakespeare. This is great. <laughs> And I really thought he was quoting Shakespeare. I had no idea it was the word. And, you know, I, and I'm just sitting there soaking all of this up. And then when he was done, he said, okay, we're going to have a line for healing. And he said, if you want to get healed, come on up. And I looked at Carmen because <laughs> these people were falling over. They had nice new outfits on. They were falling over on the floor. And I'm thinking, why would you do that? You're getting dirty. It's stupid. So I said to Carmen, why don't you go up for a healing? That's how I said it to her. I was laughing. And she looked at me and said, I went up last week. Why don't you go up? <laughs> Moi. Now, you have to understand something. I didn't dress the way Carmen wanted me to dress. What I did was... I took out the tightest pair of jeans that I could find, and I had to suck it in to, to get that button clipped. And I took my shirt, and I, it was a very tight shirt. Remember this look? Kenny, you remember this look, right? When you used to play in clubs, you, you did all this. That John Travolta look. And I had all kinds of hairspray. All, I would spray the hairs on my chest. I'd even comb them out, tease them. That's what I did. I teased the hairs on my chest just so it could look like I had a lot more. And so I said, um, moi. So I thought, go up there, show that these people are a bunch of phonies. This stuff doesn't work. And I go up there. I was the last person on the line. There were two pastors there. One was nice and calm. That was the guy who looked like the actor. And another was uh, Pastor Ernie Catalano. And he was like, yeah, come on. Yeah, come on. And he was a white guy. And he was a little short Italian guy. And he had big hands. 
And I mean, this guy was so excited. He had steam coming out of his head, fire coming out of his ears, man. I mean, this guy, I didn't want to go near this guy. So I was on the one, the guy who's nice and calm. And Pastor Ernie was praying for people. They were going down and he was like, yeah, come on, go loose him in Jesus name. Yeah. And I said, no, 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 no. So he, he was praying for people so fast and furious, he had nobody else on his line. And then I heard him, and I was looking over this way. I did not want, you know, have you ever thought of that? When, if you don't look at anyone, they can't see you. <laughs> so I wasn't looking at him. So in my eyes, uh, my mind, he doesn't see me. It's like I'm behind a pole. And I heard this voice say, come here, brother, I'll pray for you. I said, oh, no, man. And I, I kind of look like the eyes and oh he is talking to me so I came over to him he said he said to me okay brother I'm gonna pray for you what's your problem and I'm thinking you and my wife <laughs> he said brother lift your hands in the air and I'm thinking what what do you mean what for what you, you're gonna tickle me tickle me under the arms okay all right wow that's funny and I said, no, no, this is okay. Just pray. He said, no, brother, this is how we do it in this church. Lift your hands in the air. I said, all right. <laughs> and that is really as high as they want. And he said, brother, lift them high. I said, could you just pray for me? He said, okay, brother, close your eyes. And I'm thinking, what, what do you mean? Why? Why do I close my eyes and lift my hands up in the air? I just wanted to get this over with. As soon as I close my eyes, he grabs my hands and he lifts them up all the way up in the air. My shirt came out of my pants and I'm thinking I'm in church and my belly button showing this is a sacrilege, man. <laughs> and then the other pastor grabbed my, my other hand and I thought, I thought you were a nice guy. And so Pastor Ernie was just standing there and nothing was happening. And I opened up my eye and I, I saw his big hand coming up face toward me. I said, no, don't do it. Now there's two things you don't do to somebody from Brooklyn. You don't touch their face and you don't touch their hair. And I'm standing there and I'm saying, no, man, this is going to be a fight tonight. And it felt like his hand was coming down in slow motion. Then all of a sudden, bam, oh, he said, okay, brother, repeat after me. I said, I can't. He said, why? Because my upper lip is stuck in the palm of your hand. My lower lip is stuck onto your cuff link. He said, repeat after me. I don't know what I said, but I said it. And he said, okay, brother, go back to your seat. You're healed. <laughs> Let me get this straight. You call this a healing? I think I need to go see a doctor right now. I go back to my seat and there's people taking pictures. I said, oh, great, before and after. <laughs> and I go back to my seat and there's my wife going, oh, thank you, Lord, for saving my husband. Oh, thank you. I said, you call this saved? I just, I wanted to, I wanted to leave. I wanted to beat people up. I wanted to almost kill, not quite. And I just looked back at the door. The doors were closed and there were two big guys standing next to them. I said, great, bouncers, we're not in a church. There's no way out now. 
So as soon as I put my hands down, I just, I wanted to leave. I mean, I really did. I said, Jesus, if you're real, I want to see something because I'm never coming back here again. That's it. I've had it. I'm never coming back here. And I wouldn't shut my mouth. And all of a sudden, it felt like my head opened up and this white light came in and went all the way down to the soles of my feet. And I just stood there. I was, I was kind of excited. And I said, wow. I mean, I was so excited, I said it backwards. Wow. (laughs) This, what a feeling. I never felt like this in my life. And I I really felt like it was something like this. And just then a woman came over to me and put her hand on my shoulder and said, Brother, Jesus has a word for you. Now, I was already, I I mean, I was already so melancholy. I looked at her and I said, go ahead, anything. I I don't care. And these words came out of her mouth. My son, I need you to do my work, but you've got to change your evil ways. And when I heard those words, I knew that that woman didn't know me. She didn't know anything about me. And I thought, who else would know that but God Almighty? Just then I started to cry uncontrollably. I didn't want to cry. I just started crying and crying and crying. The more I cried, the more it felt like this white light just kept filling me up and filling me up. And this garbage, this darkness, this disease, this sin, this drug addiction kept coming out and coming out. And that night, April 4th, 1981, approximately 10 p.m. at night, Jesus Christ came into my life and delivered me from 20 years of drug addiction like that. In an instant. In an instant. Now look, I don't know why God does those things to some people and others. It's not so drastic. I don't know why. I don't question it. All I say is thank you, Jesus. I just want to thank him. And that night, my life changed. So Carmen and I were going back to, uh, to New York City. And we were talking in, in the car. I, didn't, I still didn't know what happened to me. And so we got home and we stayed up till maybe 4.30 and she was quoting scripture to me and telling me that I was renewed, I was born again, I was changed, that the Lord delivered me from drug addiction. I didn't even know what the word delivered was. <laughs> I didn't know what it meant. Delivered, what do you mean? Um, and the next day... When I woke up, I had no desire to smoke a joint. I had no desire to snort cocaine. I had no desire to do anything. Now, here's, here's the thing. This was kind of a problem, I thought, at the time. Carmen had already went to work. And so I started cleaning out my house of all my drug paraphernalia. And I found a half a pound of pot. And I thought, wow, you know, I could, I could easily just do this right now. She's away for a couple of days. I could do this. I could do most of it today and tonight. Maybe by tomorrow, I'll be done with it. And then I won't go back to it. Then I heard this voice say, if I delivered you from it, why would you go back to it? And I didn't know what that meant, but I I, I knew it meant something. And so then I had this thought. My friend Randy, who lived on the seventh floor, I'll sell it to him. I'll make some money and I I won't smoke it. I'll get rid of it. Then the voice said, 
if I delivered you from it, why would you make money on it? So this is what I did. I was never really good at sports, and I wanted to join the football team, but I was too small, and they wouldn't have me. And, and I really, I wasn't good anyway. So I rolled it up into a football, and I said, okay, Lord, if this is you, I am going to aim for that garbage right there in the kitchen, and if this goes in, that means you really delivered me from this, that you changed my life. I didn't think it was going to go in. What? Why didn't that happen when I tried out for the football team? And that's when I knew I was a changed man for life. I became a marked man for Jesus Christ. And I threw everything away in the incinerator. And um, that night, I started reading my Bible and revelation started to come. Revelation started to come. And over the weeks and months and about an, a year into it, uh, actually two years into it, we were speaking in, and I was just sharing my testimony. We were speaking in churches uh, all over Long Island, New York. And then as time went on, we started traveling to Europe, uh, all over the United States. And um, God changed my life. Now, you know, that doesn't go without saying that I didn't have obstacles. Of course, I had obstacles, and those obstacles were from a lot of church people, unfortunately, um, because people said, what does Popeye have to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? What does the Godfather have to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? What does uh, Joe Pesci or anybody else, Robert De Niro, all your impersonations, have to do with your salvation? And I said, do you realize when I go on sets... That's how I open up with people. I'll say, hey, yo, Paulie, how you doing? Wow, Dennis, that's really good. And then I get to share my testimony. There's so many times that I've been on a set where people would say, hey, man, what are you into? Well, you know, I'm a vegetarian or, you know, Sagittarius or something. They'd start talking about, you know, what they're into. And I remember there was about, man, there was about 15 of us. And people were talking about Buddhism and all, everything that they were into. When they got to me, I said, well, you know, um, my wife was praying for me. And then I shared my testimony the way I shared it tonight. I shared it on a set. My last story. So I was Robin Williams' stunt double. There was an ad in one of the trade papers and it said that they're looking for a stunt double and stand in for Robin Williams. And so I figured, you know, I love the guy. He's great, great comedian, great talent. I'm going to go and, and audition. So I went there and I figured there's going to be a whole line around the, you know, around the whole building, around the block. There was no line. So I go up to the 15th floor and there's no one around. I knock on the door. It was open. And somebody in the back said, um, uh, can I help you? I said, yeah, I'm here for the Robin Williams stunt double stand-in. She said, oh, okay, I'll be right out. So the woman came out and she looked at me. She said, um, so what's your name? And I said, Nano Nano. She said, you got it. <laughs> People in the church said, don't do it. You're unequally yoked. You're going to be with a sinner. They're all going to be sinning. And I thought, yeah, but I'm not going to be sinning. I mean, if I walk outside, I'm with a bunch of sinners anyway. Cut to the chase. 
I worked with Robin Williams. We became really good friends. I mean, really good friends. So much so, the last day on that film, it was called The Survivors. The last day on that film, we were walking back to base camp, and we're just talking. It was just him and I. And he said to me, um, what, are you, what are you doing in January? And I said, Robin, I'm an actor. I don't know. I don't have a schedule. He said, would you like to work on my next film? I said, well, let me think about it. Yeah. And that's what he did. He laughed. And so he said, uh, okay, uh, I'm not sure the name of it, but um, it turns out that it was Moscow on the Hudson. He said, but in a couple of weeks, call the casting director. So I called the casting director and she said, um, oh, we already got somebody. Don't worry about it. And I said, well, Robin wanted me to call you. She said, I, we got somebody. I said, okay. I called her the next day and she said, oh, we already got somebody. Your voice sounds familiar. Did you call you once before? I said, yeah, I called yesterday. She said, well, I told you yesterday. We don't have any. We, we have people. I said, okay. The third day I called her again. She said, what part of we got somebody don't you know? And I said, well, Robin won me. She said, stop talking, please. Don't call my office ever again. So we hung up. I was determined. I was going to call her the next day. <laughs> But the next day I get a phone call and it said, could I speak to Mr. O'Neill? And I'm thinking, Mr. O'Neill, that's my father. Nobody calls me Mr. I'm an actor. And I said, well, this is Dennis O'Neill. She said, yeah, yeah, you're the one I need to speak to. Uh, Listen, I I spoke to Robin and wow, he really wants you on this film. Uh, Are you available next, next week sometime? And I really wanted to say to her, let me think about it. But I didn't. I didn't. And so when I got back to uh, next week, got to the set, uh, worked with him, um, he came in, everybody was waiting for him, and he was looking around, and he saw me, he said, brother, and he gave me this big hug. Now, let me share something with you. Two things. One, Billy Crystal did Robin Williams, um, uh, he spoke at his uh, funeral, his uh, eulogy. And he said, one thing about Robin, he never shook your hand. If he liked you, he hugged you. And, you know, when I heard that on the news, I started crying. But here's what happened with Robin and I. It was midnight, and uh, I was sitting on a couch that was thrown out outside. We were filming down the street, and we had a break. I took my Bible with me, and, and I'm reading my Bible and Robin came over to me, and he put his hand on my Bible, and I looked up, and I thought, oh, man, if he doesn't like what I'm doing, he could have me fired. And he said, uh, are you a Jehovah's Witness? And I said, well, no. I mean, I witness for Jehovah, but I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> and I don't know if he got that, but that's what I said to him. And he said, well, what are you into? Make a long story short, I shared my testimony the way I did tonight to a comedian, which was great. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, share about Jesus. Ask him if he knows Jesus. And I was kind of going, get away, get away. Get thee behind me. I know it's you, Holy Spirit. I'm not going to call you Satan, but get thee behind me. Because he could get me fired. And then I heard it again. And I just blurted out, Robin, do you believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he died for your sins, he was raised from the dead? And then I said, I can't believe I said that. And he said, um, my father was Jewish, my mother was Christian. He said, yeah, I believe that. And I said, oh, 
Now I'm thinking, you aren't supposed to say that because now I'm supposed to witness to you and talk you into receiving Jesus. And I said to him, well, Robin, the Bible says if you confess that before men, you're going to see the kingdom of heaven. I believe I'm going to see you in heaven someday. So, Kenny, this is what he did. He took my hand and he said, Dennis, I want to thank you because no one has ever spoken to me like this before. Mm. So, April 4th, 1981, God did something that I never expected. I didn't know what happened, but I can say this. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Thank you. So, real quick, we're going to just show that last, that second one. Kenny Cable is in this one, and you will see him. Everybody's got a story. Mine takes me from New York to Texas, inheriting my uncle's failing bail bonds business. Now I'm looking for a team of bounty hunters to make it work. Jimmy's in Brooklyn. Brooklyn? How do you know that? I am a bounty hunter in training. Don't mention his ears. What happened to your ear? You're hired. First stop, Brooklyn. Meeting with my NYPD chief of police. These eggs are great. Jimmy, my name's Kenny Cable. Bailed out my brother-in-law last week. Just wanted to say thanks. Have a good day. Said he has a surprise for me. I don't think it's Kenny Cable. What's your right? No, you're either right. Great. You got me the gang that couldn't shoot straight. I met Jimmy O'Neill when his uh, Uncle Charlie died. You know, I'd say he's a good addition to the city of Fort Worth. Vito, where are you? Sicily. Sicily? I need a bailout. I want to return my sins back to society. I don't think society wants your sins back. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus! He fell off that truck, remember? You didn't tell the driver that the merchandise fell off the truck? I put together a dream team bounty hunters. We're here to help you with your new business. What are you doing here? I'll come to visit you and meet your boss. It's Jimmy O'Neill. Jimmy who? Jimmy O'Neill. Oh, Jimmy O'Neill, not Jimmy Carter. Okay. Margaret, I want to make you matriarch of the family. Oh, congratulations, buddy. If that's acceptable. My dad used to call me my little Maji. <laughs> and what am I bid for? Anybody make it $500? $500 anywhere? Hey, hey, hey. If you two are going to speak Italian, that ain't going to work. You're the real Lou Diamond Phillips. 500 now, six. Six anywhere, six now, seven. Seven anywhere, seven now, eight. Eight, eight now, nine. I'm not using your name. The mob is. I thought they were dead. Selvis dead? BailoutTV.com. Uh, we're raising money to do this, but we really need prayer. 
Prayer will bring the finances in. If we can do this, uh, if we can raise enough money, then we can do uh, an episode a month or maybe two episodes every month. The Bible says that a man's gift will make room for him and bring him before great men. I truly believe tonight God took my gift and brought me before great men and great women. You are great. Don't forget it. Thank you and God bless you.